Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, the last couple of weeks, we were discussing Romans 8 and, and the all things passages showing how God is sovereign over all things and that He we can trust that he actually is working the circumstances in our life for our good and for his glory. We're going to spend the next two episodes showing from scripture how this sometimes works out. And we're going to talk about Joseph and probably next week we'll talk about Moses. And we're just going to walk through these passages and see how God used even negative circumstances, even the sin of other people to work out his plan for his people. So let's just, do you want to actually give us a little recap of the passage of Roman eight from last week? And then we will jump in with Joseph. Yes, we were talking about Romans 8, 28, mm-hmm. and particularly onto the end of the chapter. Right. Okay? And these passages are there to reassure us that God is keeping us and bringing us into conformity of Christ. Ultimately, nothing will separate us from the love of God. One of the key things that needs to be understood, if we're going to understand the doctrine of providence, is whether or not these all things statements in context like this are literal. Okay. And the section in Romans 8, 28 onward, makes it very clear that it is literal. Right. Heights or depths or things, you know, present, future, everything, everything is there. And God is bringing all things to his intended end, to his glory, into the good of his people. Yes. And we studied that directly from scripture. Now, there are many other cases in the Bible. Right. That uh, we want to look at. And I wrote an article about this. uh, Issue number 113, July, August, 2009. They can go look that up, uh, listeners, and download the PDF or look at the HTML. But we need to establish that as being biblical. Yes. And now, all the New Testaments, actually, there are many illustrations that it really is. God does bring forth his purposes. He does. And, well, you know, one of the, the accusations that's often thrown at people who believe in providence is that, well, that just reduces us all to these robots who are just mechanically going through and, um, you know, God's just obeying God or however that's however they think that happens. How would you respond to that? Well, for one thing, we need to believe the Bible for what it says. And the Bible is not worried about people being robots. No. You won't find that in the Bible. And I think the biggest problem, and I get this from friends and foes alike as far as theology, very few people have been trained in exegesis, hermeneutics, and understanding what the author's intent is as you're reading scripture. And right. a lot of people just jump to church history and choose who's the good people to listen to and the bad people not to listen. Right. That's really not how discernment works. Right. And so we get uh, emails and 
well, are you following this systematic theology or that one? Are you this or are you that? Well, before you start asking questions like that, go back and examine your own thinking and your own premises. Is it possible for Christians to read the Bible, Scripture alone, and knowing that the Holy Spirit-inspired author determines the meaning, not the reader? Yes. Okay? And that if we understand what Moses wrote, what Paul wrote, what Luke wrote, what did they tell us? What, what is the message here? Start with that rather than choosing who the good or bad persons are in church history. Right. And you then know, go ahead. Well, the technical terminology is the first thing that comes out. But before we go to all of that, and I deal with technical terminology, but if you don't ground theology in proper understanding of scripture, then what are you learning? That's right. That has to be the foundation. And you know, even if the word hermeneutics is strange to you, I, I know it's, it's kind of a theological term, although it is applied in, in learning any sort of right. uh, literature or textual analysis, biblical hermeneutics is really important. And though it's a big word, it's really just about how do we study and understand the scripture? If you go to the CIC website, cicministry.org, there is a class. There's a link to it right on the front page where our friend Ryan Habana and Bob was in this class also in, in disc, interacting and discussing with the class. There is a full um, class on hermeneutics that we've made available on the CIC website, and it will give you a pretty good foundation as far as just understanding how to approach and interpret scripture. Right. And interestingly, one of the first classes I had at seminary in 1993 or whenever, all 92, when I got there, my teacher was uh, Dr. Robert Stein or Bob Stein, and he assigned these real technical things because this is a master's level class and it had to do with uh, theories of interpretation. But the bottom line is this, the authors of scripture are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right. Their meaning is God's meaning. And if we learn that through understanding context and so on, whatever helps us understand the meaning, then we'll know what God said. Yes. And so uh, scripture alone, the clarity of scripture, that the Bible is understandable, the authority of scripture, that the teachings of scripture are binding on the hearts and minds of those who would serve God. And then the author, the Holy Spirit inspired author, spoke from God. Right. And we can know what God said. Now, before you go looking to all the Currents and primary, secondary causes, which I address. We're seeing this. Romans 8, 28 to 39 is written to assure us that for believers, God will keep us and bring us ultimately to glory, and we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Yes. That's what we've been saying. Mm -hmm. Well, if you read the popular books, they'll say, well, you're probably going to goof it up and throw a monkey wrench into the thing. Right. We talked about. So we're starting from the belief, and I believe it's the very one thought in the Bible, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and elsewhere, 
God has spoken. He's spoken clearly, authoritatively, and that we can know what God said. All right. And so hermeneutics is simply understanding who, what God said. It's inerrant, but we need to understand it. And yes. then theology comes out of making categories that fit, by God's grace, valid implications and applications. Can God use evil? Right. That's what we want to answer. And so maybe we can start with Joseph. That'd be a good story. To All right. It on. sure is, because there was a lot of evil that happened in the life of Joseph. Right. So I will start with Genesis 15, 13. Because that really kind of lays a foundation and shows how all of this happened according to God's plan, even though he did use the actions of sinful man to work out his purposes. So Genesis 15, 13, God is speaking to Abram. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Okay, so yeah. before, before there even, even is a Joseph, God has told Abram that his descendants will be in Egypt and they will be afflicted, but God will bring them out. Exactly. That's why we believe. In the promises of God, God has spoken. He spoke to Abram. By the way, in Genesis 15 is where God made a unilateral covenant with Abram. That's right. Cut the animals in two, and a theophany goes through pieces. Yes. And so this is God speaking authoritatively and, and revealing himself to Abram. And we're going to see as history unfolds what. God told Abram, who's later Abraham, actually came to pass, but an awful lot of intrigue happened in the meantime. That's true. And, and even just even just in Abram's life, he had the promise of the son, Isaac being the promised son. But rather than believing God's promise, they took matters into their own hands and you end up with Ishmael. And that causes a lot of problems but it still works out according to God's plan. Right. And that happens again and again. Right. And as our pastor, Eric Dalman has been preaching lately, God uses unexpected people. Yes. Often the, the younger rather than the older. Right. And he's preaching to Matthew. So we need to learn and not just start choosing sides before we've even understood the Bible Say, well, I think I'm going to choose this side. I like that group from church history. Just go back and search the scripture. Right. And you can, it, it is so clear that God is in control of these things from Abram to, if you look at, if you look at Jacob and the Leah and Rachel incident and the Laban tricks him into marrying the older daughter rather than Rachel, but because he ends up then with Rachel and Leah as the wives, you end up with the 12 tribes of Israel. And those brothers are the ones that we're about to discuss that wickedly treat Joseph 
that lead him to Egypt for God's purposes. Yeah, many decades ago, I preached a sermon or a series of sermons about Joseph and this whole issue. I was preaching through Genesis. And I don't know how anybody can doubt the sovereignty of God. Right. And how can you doubt that God uses unexpected people and keeps his promises? It doesn't mean people don't sin and fail and do all sort of things they shouldn't do. Right. And these stories are recounted in the New Testament by Holy Spirit-inspired authors, including uh, Luke and Luke Acts, the book of Hebrews, and so on. So why don't we just lay down all of our prejudices about what group is good or bad and learn what it says here? Right. So God had already said that his that Abram's descendants would be strangers in a land that wasn't theirs, but that he was going to deliver them. So let's look at how do Abram's descendants end up in Egypt? Well, why don't we start with Joseph here? Okay. Okay. So in this article that I wrote, I cite Genesis 45, 5 through 8. Okay. Okay. And this is after all the intrigue, and then we'll go back and recount some of the things that happened. All right. So this is uh, starting with verse 5, Genesis 45. After things happened, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there will still be five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Genesis 45, 5 through 8. Now, how could right. Joseph say that to them after everything had happened? Right. Joseph understood providence. Well, right. And it's what an amazing story. I would suggest, not only story, but it's history. It's cold, sober truth. But go back, dear listeners, go back and just read how that all happened. Yeah, I'll give us just a, a couple of highlights here. Okay. So looking at Genesis 37, Joseph has had this dream about his about his brothers, and he's kind of being a little bit arrogant and prideful in, in, in his approach to his brothers. And the short version is they get fed up. So they're they're plotting to determine what they're gonna do with Joseph. And starting in verse 26, so Judah said to his brother, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So his brothers had plotted against his life. One of them kind of thought, wait a minute, let's not have his blood on our hands. We'll just sell him as a slave. The Midianites come and take him to Egypt. 
as a slave. And, and actually, they deceived the father. Right. They bring back his tunic covered in blood. Yeah. So they deceive him. Yeah. Haul him off. Right. And, and so then Jacob is thinking all this time that his son is dead. Right. Wow. And so then there's a lot of intrigue. It's a fantastic section. Right. Preachers would do well to at some point in your life preach through that. Right. I remember, I don't remember what decade I did that, but it was a great thing to do. Oh, the fact is, he ends up in Egypt. Right. So then in Egypt, he ends up in the household of Potiphar, where he is respected and honored. And Potiphar's wife tries to trick him into immorality and he flees, but she grabs his tunic or his cloak and then lies about what happened. Right. So then he's thrown in prison. Right. So (laughs) just think back here. Uh, those that are listening and watching this, look at all the bad things that happened. And yeah. A lot of people would just be tempted. Well, I'm just going to get bitter. This isn't right. If right. I ever get a chance, I'm going to get retribution. So Joseph was mistreated all the way along. Right. Even in he lands prison. There, he's faithful. And then he's lied about. And he ends up thrown in jail. And then he interprets the dreams of a couple of key people in jail and just says, you know, when you're free, remember me. And they forget I, about him. They, yeah. So the one of them was uh, executed. The other set free. Right. Right. Yep. And uh, well, the guy forgot about it. So he's been mistreated by just about everybody. Right. But and, then a few years later. The Pharaoh has a dream. Right. And then, oh, yeah, I remember that guy I was supposed to help. And, and so then he ends up in Pharaoh's household. That's right. You can read about that in Genesis 41. So he ends up in Pharaoh's household when he's freed from prison and he interprets the dream and he earns the respect of Pharaoh. And he's kind of put in charge of managing this famine that they know through Pharaoh's mm-hmm. dream is coming. That's exactly right. And so God used him. Yes. And he gained trust there. It's a very touchy story as well. That's right. Eventually the famine did happen, but they had taken precautions based on believing that Joseph really knew what was going to happen. Yes. And then when he saw them, now I'm going from memory from many years ago. The fact is, he hid himself from him because he knew he'd start weeping. Is that correct? That's right. And the first time he does not re- he does not reveal himself to his brothers, but he sends them home and wants them to come back with the youngest brother, Benjamin. Right. And this is really a test for the brothers. They do so they they do make it home. They have the food. The food runs out. And Jacob, of course, is not about to send his youngest son after having lost Joseph off to Egypt, but they know they can only go back if they bring Benjamin with. So eventually they're forced to, they return with Benjamin. I believe if so, then Joseph has his servants hide his cup, Joseph's cup in Benjamin's sack. 
They're going back because now Joseph wants to see, okay, has his, have his brothers really changed? Will they sell out the younger brother or will they do what's right and honor the brother and honor their father? So they get part way back. Joseph's men come and find them. There's the cup in, in Benjamin's sack, this youngest precious brother. And rather than selling out their brother like they did to Joseph, they say, one of the brothers says, take me instead. Surely if, if my father loses Benjamin, it will send him to his grave or something along yeah, those his, lines. His, his gray hairs will go down to Sheol and sorrow or something like right. that. And so then after that happens, he realizes his brothers have truly changed. There is real repentance there. And then he has the dinner where he reveals him. He sends his servants away. He reveals himself to his brother, brothers, gives them forgiveness and shows and tells them what you meant for evil. God meant for good. Right. Which we just read. Yep. So that's kind of the speeding overview of the whole story that's really worth going back and reading right. through yourself. We don't have time to cover the whole thing today, but it's really an amazing testimony to show how we as believers can rest in knowing that all the things that are going on in our life, God is sovereign over. We can trust him. He uses good and evil, but he's working out his purposes. Right. And uh, whenever that was, it must have been in the late 90s. I, I didn't preach Genesis every week. I usually just doing once a month preaching out of Genesis. And somewhere I've got the recordings, I think. But anyhow, I, I believe those are on the church website, ggf.church, if you go to be. sermons, I, but scripture, back Genesis. Then, the technology for recording wasn't as good as our saving digital files. Yeah. But the fact is, Everyone should know this. And right. if you read that for what it says, a lot of the theology that's out there is really got to go out the window. It's not what the author's telling us. Right. And Jesus himself said, Moses wrote of me. Yep. If you believe Moses, you'd believe me. Right. And Moses wrote Genesis. Right. And we're not saying that there wasn't a process. Certainly, Moses didn't write the story of his own death. No, that's and, true. And I but, was just yeah. lucky in numbers where there's a parenthetical comment. Now, Moses was the most humble man on the earth. Well, yeah. obviously, Moses wasn't calling himself the most humble man. Mm -hmm. We're not naive to think, well, there wasn't a process that landed in our hands. These words that are exactly from God. But Jesus did say, Moses wrote of me. That's right. Now, going through all that, read it for yourself. How can you say that somehow somebody's going to sin or fail or do the wrong thing and God's plan will be foiled and just won't happen? It, it just doesn't work out that way. Joseph's brothers sinned and it worked out according to God's plan. Potiphar's well, wife sinned. And it worked out according to God's plan. It, that does not excuse their sin. You know, we're, we're humans are still responsible for their own actions. A human responsibility doesn't negate God's sovereignty. It's what we would call compatibilism. 
but still right. something that we're going to do or not do is not going to thwart God's plan. One thing that's very important, and this is why I've had a number of debates over the years about this. Okay. With, with people that really more educated than I ever have been, even though I have been to seminary and to Bible college and, and so forth. We need to be grounded in the scriptures, not in philosophy first. Right. Okay. So if you start with the philosophical pre premise that the, everything's dependent on us gaining revelations, making all the right decisions, uh, open theism, God doesn't know what's going to happen. Whatever yeah. you think you w wish God would be like isn't important. What's important is what has God said and how do we know what the truth is? That's right. And so this Romans 8.28 being rejected by theologians because they don't like it. That doesn't add up. No. Read Genesis. And well, then I, they used to say, well, this is all myth and none of these things happened. Well, that didn't work either because the more we know about history, in its interaction with various kingdoms in the world, whether it's Egypt or Persia or Babylon or the Old Testament, the Bible's proven to be true. Right. So what's the point? As I read, uh, Jessica gave a, a good background of what all happened to Joseph. And what did Joseph say? Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Or God sent me before you to preserve life. Right. Now, here's a point everyone needs to know. The Holy Spirit-inspired author determines the meaning. Yes. Genesis 45, 5 through 8, is Holy Spirit-inspired scripture written for us to learn. Now, when Joseph said, God sent me before you, Joseph in here, or did now in theology they'll call this the narrator who okay. wrote this? Yeah. It was written, we believe, by Moses and whatever other sources Moses had after his death that ultimately gave us the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Okay. What are we supposed to believe about this? Was Moses, was Joseph confused? Was Joseph Naive because he believed somebody's theology from 1500 or 1300 or 1600 AD? No, because obviously that's all way after the fact. Yeah. Even if somebody says, well, Moses didn't write this. Nevertheless, do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you told me God sent me before you to preserve life. The Holy Spirit inspired author is showing us that, Mo that Joseph here is speaking the truth. Yes. And we ought to believe it. Yep. And so we will not ever learn if we don't care about anything but somebody's theology from whenever we like to find our theology in church history. Right. Okay. So we're supposed to believe this. So how could God have sent Joseph when they hated him? Well, first of all, he told the dream that way ahead of time, and that's created a lot of jealousy and pride and problems. Yeah. Uh, they deceived their father. He sold out. He spared. 
Midianites bring him to uh, Egypt. Potiphar's life lies about him, even yeah. though he was a righteous man, thrown in jail. All this happens. And he says, God sent me. Yeah. Now, dear listener, and those who are watching this podcast, did this passage in Genesis landing here right in front of us, is it, is it telling us that Joseph didn't know what he was talking about? No. No. What did the author intend? That Joseph here is speaking the truth. Everything is leading up to this that they're going to learn. Now, there's still more to learn. Yep. There's another episode later in Genesis 50 and verse 20. Yep. But the fact is, this is how God works. And if you want theology, let me give you an easy way to understand it. God allows these evil. God uses evil. God overcomes evil for a greater good. Amen. Amen. Now, if we can't learn that from this passage, maybe we'll do Moses and we can learn it from there. That's right. We are going to come back next week and talk about Moses. And really, all that happened to Joseph leads to Moses. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website, cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob Dewey. We'll see you next week.